Healing into Consciousness Radio reveals a mystic's viewpoint on personal growth and transformation. Albert, a seasoned broadcaster, and Mata, internationally acclaimed master healer, teacher, and multi-award-winning author, explore both the dark and light sides of our human nature. They candidly talk about things most people shy away from, discussing our struggles with anger, jealousy, sex, insecurity, self-loathing, and fear of death. They discuss the meaning of awakening and what we need to do to transform our shadow and find the light of our true being. Through her compassionate guidance, Mata answers questions regarding your personal challenges with specific suggestions on how you too can heal into consciousness. And now, here are your hosts, Albert and Mata. Welcome. You're listening to Healing Into Consciousness Radio, where from a modern-day mystic's point of view, we discuss everyday challenges and practical ways to transform them, helping bring some clarity into your hectic modern life so you can find the peaceful strength of your inner being. My name is Albert, of course, and I am a seeker of truth, and I am joined by my co-host each and every week, the award-winning and best-selling author of In Search of the Miraculous, Healing into Consciousness. I speak of Eliza Mata-Dallion, affectionately known as Mata, who is also the creator of the No Yes Active Meditation and the Guided Meditation, Transcending the Fear of Death and the Unknown. Above all, Mata is a self-realized spirit and internationally acclaimed master healer who is also the founder of the Lightspeed Dalian Method, whose revolutionary healing modality quickly identifies and miraculously erases old beliefs and imprints from the body's cellular memory. Mata is currently in the process of publishing Healing into Consciousness with the Dalian Method, a revolutionary self-healing system for a new humanity and whose book and CD set will offer a master key for people to use on their own for the purpose of accelerating their healing and transformation. You can look for it in 2012, and I don't know about you, but I'm very excited about this. And you can find out further details on Mata's website, matadalian.com. Every week on Healing Into Consciousness Radio, we are honored to have Mata provide her insightful mystic's point of view on how we can transform our struggles and heal into consciousness. And today, Mata and I are continuing with show number two of an eight-week series on the greatest Buddha of this century. And of course, I speak of Osho, most known for his revolutionary contribution to the science of inner transformation. He continues to inspire millions of people worldwide in their search to define a new approach to individual spirituality that is self-directed and responsive to the everyday challenges of contemporary life. Tom Robbins called him the most dangerous man since Jesus Christ. The Dalai Lama acknowledged that he was a self-realized master who was working with all possibilities to help humanity overcome a different phase in developing consciousness. Shirley MacLaine and Marion Williamson both have said his books are top-notch. Tom Cruise, the actor, said he is the only one who can perfectly explain it all. And my favorite, the iconic actor James Coburn said his tape discourse lectures and books inspired him and millions of others on the path of self-evolution. If I continue with a little further going on this name dropping, recently most Madonna 
said his work gave her a deeper shift in her life. And Lady Gaga recently tweeted on one of his quotes on creativity. During this uh, new series, Osho, the most rebellious and controversial mystic of all times, we are introducing and discussing some of Osho's latest books and interviewing people who have been with him for a long time and those who have recently most discovered him. Our first guest of the series is with us today. He was Osho's personal physician, and before we bring him on the show, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about his background. John Andrews is an English-trained physician who originally specialized in cardiology, neurology, and eternal medicine before he discovered meditation as a basis for exploring holistic approaches to well-being. Since then, he has spent many years in India and the United States working and learning in an environment where awareness is understood to be an essential ingredient of a healthy and intelligent lifestyle. His uh, focus has not been on illness, but on health in all its many different aspects. He served as director of the Academy of Healing Arts at the Osho International Meditation Resort in Pune, India for many years and is still part of the management team there. For those of you who don't know, the Osho International Meditation Resort is one of the world's largest personal growth and meditation centers in the world. John is also the director of Osho International Foundation in Zurich, Switzerland, which takes care of making uh, its vast archive of books, audiobooks, and videos on Osho available in dozens of languages around the world, working with a large number of the major publishers worldwide. He coordinates the foundation's multilingual website. In addition, he has written widely on the application of meditation to both the health of the individual and the health of companies and the wider society in general. John's the author of The Choice is Ours, an extension of this approach to holistic living that also includes the ecological aspects of planetary health. John Andrews, welcome to the show. Hi there. Hello, John. Hello. Uh, we're really happy to have you. You're, you've, been, uh, you've been a very old time seeker and you've been a long time with Osho. You've, uh, you've been his personal physician for, I believe it's over 20 years until he left his body. And many people in the West have no clue of how it is to be in the energy field of an enlightened mystic, especially that of caliber of Osho. And I'm sure our listeners would be very, very excited to hear your story. Someone who's been so close to such a such a genius, such a um, basically the Buddha of this century and many centuries to come. So, for someone who's been so close to to a mystic such as Osho and someone who's been a seeker himself, would love to hear your story to how you found Osho, how you came across him, and how did he transform your life, and and how was it being his personal physician? Wow, there's a lot of questions there. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe the uh, maybe the the most interesting thing for uh, for someone who's interested in how this all works. Um, from my perspective, I arrive um, by chance in a way, not really looking, knowing what I'm looking for, not even knowing that I'm looking for anything. Then by chance, I happen to be 
have an opportunity just to kind of walk past Osho because it was something in those days called a birthday celebration. So there I am, this doctor from London, kind of in this queue, and in the middle of this area is this kind of really weird-looking kind of Hare Krishna scene going on, and I'm this outcast regular doctor in this queue. And then as I get closer, there's a man in a long white, actually kind of nighty, really, um, sitting in a chair, totally delighted that everyone is so uh, happy and everyone is celebrating. And he's clearly delighted that it's all happening. And then as I get closer, I notice there's a kind of no sale sign. You know, like those old tills where you pay your money and you get the change wrong and a little no sale sign comes up. And this man has, in some very strange way, a complete separation from all the people who are dancing around celebrating his birthday. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't understand what that was, except that as I get closer and closer, it's clear he's totally happy with himself. He's totally happy everyone else is celebrating because they've chosen that that's what they want to do. But there is no deal. You know how you kind of get used to seeing famous people or politicians? So he's detached. Or, yeah. Well, yes, but it's detached is in a way the wrong word because he's actually very much involved and uninvolved all at the same time. And that just kind of shattered something inside me. I kind of realized this was something I'd never seen before. You know, you see famous people and there's always a deal. You're smiling at me and I'm smiling at you. You're applauding me and I'm smiling in return. There's always mm -hmm. that kind of uh, deal going on between both parties. And here there was absolutely no deal, but an absolute support for whatever everybody was enjoying doing in that moment. And that so, so in other words, no ego, but presence. Well, you know, you can kind of guess what's going on, but... Uh, yeah. That's sure one way of putting it, you know, but it was uh, so from then on, I knew I was in kind of on the other side of the moon. Um, so it was kind of uh, and in terms of the I mean, an experience like that just, you know, obviously only happens the first time you see somebody. But I think the most important people for think people, sorry, the most important thing for people to appreciate is the ordinariness that Osho expressed, and it was a really key part of everything he was part of, is that all our mind, our expectation, wants to make someone extraordinary. And there's nothing more extraordinary than being ordinary. Such a different concept for the Western mind to comprehend. Yes, it uh, was different for all of us. I mean, very kind of... Mm -hmm. Very strange, very revolutionary, but very uh, liberating in so many ways. I'm so glad that my sense is that from the get-go, you discovered an uncorruptibility in this person. Am I correct in sensing that, John? Yes, I mean, there's, 
there was he's doing his thing and if you want to join the party you're more than welcome if you want to leave the party you're more than welcome you come because you want to be there he's doing what he wants to do because he wants to do it and there is simply no sticky and this was before velcro that's good we're in conversation with uh, osho's personal physician as uh, we continue with our uh, eight series of programs on the greatest mystic of modern times osho and uh, along with uh, my co-host eliza madadalian i'm really having a good time doing this and i see that we've come up to a break and if you're interested in finding more about Osho, it's Osho.com. Mata's website is matadalian.com. And you can also like us on Facebook, Healing into Consciousness Radio. And you can even submit your questions or comments about the show there if you like. We'll be right back. And thank you for listening on Healing into Consciousness Radio. Welcome back to Healing into Consciousness Radio with Albert and Mata. We are in conversation with Osho's personal physician, John Andrews or Amrito. There's a story as is with you, Mata. It's Eliza Dalian, and Mata is a Sanskrit word as is Amrito. Am I am I on the right base when I Mata? Yes. Right. So Amrito, that is a Sanskrit name too. I think so, yes. I think so. Do you, do you know what it means, John? It means elixir. Like a sort of potion, you know, sort of one of those sort of secret things you, I don't Ooh. know what you do with potions, but I don't know whether it turns a frog into a prince or a prince into it a frog. It sounds Let's magical. <laughs> <laughs> and Mata, your name means divine ecstasy, right? A light ecstasy, Mata means ecstasy. I, I would rather call you Amrito from here on in, John. Okay, easy. As we pick up from your story as how you first met Osho, you decided to go along with the ride, and I think as as a person, as just as a as a human being, your consciousness was was ripe. I guess when the when when the student is ready, the master appears. Is, is was that true for you? Well, I do, really don't know. All I can say is that uh, at that moment, seeing something very very different from whatever else I had experienced in my life obviously has an impact, and it's the impact is not necessarily going to be conscious because you really don't know what's happening inside you. You just know that something's going on. For me, it was all very, very revolutionary in a way because Osho used to talk every single morning, um, alternate months, one month in English, one month in Hindi. So I was only there for, for one month. So I sat and listened to one month of Osho talking in Hindi, actually talking on Kabir as it happens, although it's really nothing to do with Kabir. And all the, the sort of prevailing social issues of the world I had come from, I could just see Osho just gently dissect them all and in a way just sort of drive a horse and cart right down the middle of all the muddle. And that mm-hmm. was shocking, just to see how much confusion we all lived in and how 
through a very simple way of looking at it actually more honestly. One could actually remove most of the confusion and the reason for conflict and misunderstanding. Perhaps I give you one example. So at sure. that time, it was a phase was happening in the women's movement. So there was a lot of, in the UK at that time, a lot of sort of energy around how could, women un, how could women undo all the damage and the mess of a male-dominated society. And part of the energy was that women should, or whether they had consciously decided or not, they ended up actually imitating many male qualities. And then along comes Osho and says, no, no, females are just different. Males are just different. It's an insanity to think of equality. How could an orange be equal to an apple? They're just different. As right. soon as you start talking about equality, you're asking the wrong question. Why can't you simply accept that people are equally unique? Bang. You know, you've just mm -hmm. driven a bus right through probably the hugest mess, muddle, and confusion that modern society lives in. Just like that. So you sit there, your mouth is sort of getting sore, it's hanging open with shock. <laughs> wow. So Honesty there works. were many, many, many moments like that that make it irrefutable that it's sort of pointless to continue muddling along in the mess and you better kind of get your ass out of there and uh, find out what's really going on. So it's almost like moments of awakening and a part of your intelligence recognizes the truth when you hear it. And by his, his words, whatever he, he's saying, you suddenly think, how did I not think of this myself? I know that this is true. Yes, I mean, or it just turned it into common sense. Exactly, yeah. So then what happened? Well, then I had to go back to London at the end end of that month and sort of clean up all my stuff and then I bought a, the kind of compulsory Volkswagen van of that era and uh, climbed in and drove back. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit like the last scene of uh, the uh, King of Hearts really, that's kind of how I see it. <laughs> so it sounds like an internal revolution had happened. Well it was sort of perfect timing it seemed the most sensible thing to do. Of course, people looked at me and said, you're doing what? You're just mm -hmm. dropping your career and just climbing into a van? And, but it, for me, it was the, just the most obvious and ordinary and uh, intelligent thing to do at that moment. There was no competition. So with all these little kind of aha or these jaw-dropping moments taking place, what was this indelible effect that Osho was personally having on you? What, what was it growing into? What, what did you find as a consciousness growing about this whole trip? Well, I mean, a mixture. It's all very well having an intellectual understanding about equality and uniqueness, but it's still just an intellectual understanding. So was it possible that I could actually change as a human being? And if so, how might that happen? Or was that something that happened by itself? Was there something I had to do to kind of promote that? What, what, actually, what actually is this all about is a pretty big question. 
but in a way Osho took it out of that kind of intellectual sort of discussion area and simply said look if you're prepared just to join the game the rest will unfold as it goes along that, so that's exactly what I did I think what would be really interesting for people to understand is for for somebody like you, you know, a, a respected physician, leaving your career, going to, you know, to India to be with this man with the long beard, and obviously from outside people think you're crazy and what what the hell are you doing? And what what you are doing, there's a calling inside you that knows that I have to do this. And you're following that calling obviously because nobody tells you to do this you are yourself feeling that this is this is what i need to do for myself this is this is the calling that i need to live so so in a way you're taking the courage to go against the the social norm the social you know upbringing and the social idea to what's what's right what's wrong and what is success and what is failure. So when you arrive in India, you gave up. Did you know that you were going to be his physician or did it just happen after you arrived there? No, it just, again, just sort of unfolded over time. I just got Mm -hmm. a a call. I think I was there for about a year or so. I just got a call. Would would you be at the gate at six o'clock so you could just take a blood sample? Mm -hmm. So that's what I did and did the blood sample. And I could also see because you're surrounded by a lot of people who have lots of different impressions of what's going on. And lots of people, there was a lot of kind of, uh, you know, Osho never came out of his room. So even to go into his room was like kind of, you know, going to Mars. So Mm -hmm. to actually go in there and take blood was sort of like, where are you going? So for sure, I didn't mention that to anybody. (laughs) <laughs> um, I could see this was a kind of disturbing phenomenon. And if I wanted the whole world to land on my head, just just uh, make an issue around that and see how far it gets you. So I was really happy to be totally anonymous doing these blood samples, which I did every week for some time and never said a word to anyone and made sure the lab technician didn't either. We both were kind of really quiet. And then suddenly, of course, Osho, in the middle of some talk, public talk, you know, Osho said, oh, yes, and, uh, you know, my name was Devaraj in those days, and he said, oh, yes, uh, Devaraj comes, and he takes my blood every week, and then he just holds my arm and says, oh, little prick. (laughs) (laughs) The whole audience completely breaks up, and and then everybody knows what the hell is he doing, you know, the doctor. But... um, Luckily, I was also kind of, I had a very interesting experience where eventually I kind of went back, drove, landed, and then went and said, okay, um, you know, I'd like to take sannyas, which was a kind of way of being part of what was going on. And uh, Mm -hmm. this lady behind the counter said, "Uh, you've uh, done the meditations, have you? You know, and I said, meditation, you know, what is that? (laughs) So then I had to go off and do this 10-day meditation camp, which was from you know, six in the morning till till drop dead time at night for mm-hmm. 10 days in a row, which was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. And then went back and said, you know, then I went through the, the whole process. And eventually I wrote and said, so I'm, uh, 
I wrote to Osho and said, so I'm rushing towards you inch by inch and would like to start work. So then I get a, 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 a reply, go to the office. So I go to the office and, and sit down and, uh, so you'd like to start work? Yes, I, I'm ready to start work. Um, tell me, uh, what do you do? Oh, well, I'm a doctor. And this woman goes, oh, dear. <laughs> so many doctors. And is there anything else you can do? <laughs> So oh, that's are, great. Kind of, that's great. I kind of skewered my ego pretty successfully. So I was sort of saying, well, I sort of can do the learning to type, you know, <laughs> like actually I'm pretty hopeless at everything else, to be honest. And uh, woodwork, woodwork, I, like, I couldn't even, oh, God. Okay, so then I'm off doing woodwork, making those little funny uh, hairpins with a, a kind of sander and some little bits of wood for quite a while. But what was valuable is I actually thought I was going to become a carpenter. And then I was, I just realized I've sort of finished with doctoring <laughs> or finished being a doctor. And then later it all unfolded. I went back to doing doctoring, but I never became a doctor again. That was a real, real freedom. Very good. We are in conversation with uh, Osho's personal physician, Amrito, and you're listening to Healing into Consciousness Radio with Albert and Mata. Mata's website is matadalian.com, and Osho's website is osho.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back right after this. to Healing into Consciousness Radio with Albert and Mata. Mata, a modern-day mystic, and of course Osho, the greatest mystic of modern times. What I personally liked about him, uh, Amrita, was the fact that he can, like Mata uh, described so eloquently in her book, the way he could bring the ancient scriptures to life and to be actually doing the active meditations, whether it be the dynamic or the kundalini or any of the others, and at the same time having the privilege to have a morning and then an evening discourse on or by the man would have been just awesome. I guess you did a lot of that. Yes, the, uh, at that time, everything was centered around Osho's talking. And that's a, that itself is a really fascinating story because I didn't and I didn't know any of this. Actually, he didn't even describe this at that time. So really, he let the thing unfold and just kind of gave enough indication to gently inform everyone of what is actually going on um, as it happens. So, for example, um, 
there's morning and evening talks and at that time everything had a kind of sort of religious bent to it um so you know me i'm i'm not kind of really religious or spiritual really but i kind of it was all all going along and i was there was nothing particularly for me to uh question in that sense what, what do you mean by religious amrito well he was talking on religious figures for example um mm -hmm. oh, okay. he would even he would even use concepts like god at that time um which mm -hmm. you know for me weren't really interesting ideas but it, it, for me i was just really happy it's like that thing when osho says yes of course you could disagree with anything i say but you can't disagree with me Huh? Mm -hmm. Aha. Okay, I get it. I get it. So actually, there was nothing to kind of disagree with in terms of Osho. Osho's Osho. And mm -hmm. all the things he's saying, he's talking to lots of different people. And if some things don't turn me on, then I'm not particularly fussed one way or the other. And the big turning point came in 1984, where after he'd gone into silence for three years, he then announces that actually um, I've been speaking through all these other people, these ancient mystics. And actually I want to tell you that uh, they probably didn't say what I said they said. And if by chance they did say what I said they said, I put my meaning on their words. And now enough of that. Now I want to speak to you directly and say what I have to say to you directly. I am not concerned with ancient mystics, I'm concerned with you. Mm -hmm. Wow. That was a big shift, uh, would you say? A gasp. <laughs> a, a big gasp. gasp. A few super U-turns, and that was one of them. And I always like laugh about how he would do that. And, you know, half the guys would fall out the back of the bus every time he would swing a Yui, as the Australians would put it. And... Mm -hmm. It was very intentional, and he said, I've been in the silence, and all those who were with me for my words will now have gone. Mm -hmm. So he was pretty uh, clear exactly what the game was, even if we weren't. And on another occasion, he describes how it was 1970, and he had been, then he, prior to that time, he was kind of known as the Hindi Krishnamurti because he had a very uh, non-guru, non-master, uh, like Krishnamurti, very kind of, uh, no, really, how would you describe it? A, a kind of no involvement in anything, no master, no master disciple. Mm -hmm. And the way he describes that, he said, I realized my strategy just wasn't working. You know, as soon as I would tell people, he says, uh, that I'm irreligious, amoral, and unspiritual, uh, everyone runs away and I'm left talking to the Bidiwala. It's sort of like mm -hmm. a little cigarette mm -hmm. guy in India. And uh, so he says, <laughs> I realize all the people who might understand what I'm saying are actually already trapped in the religions. So I'm going to have to take up religious terminology in order to use it against the religions themselves. Otherwise, I will never get through the door. And his dad says to him, what do you mean God? I thought, you know, God, what is this? And he said, be patient. Be patient. You just have that's, to That's what makes him the greatest mystic of all times. because, And that's what makes him the master. 
the master of all masters because the master knows how to actually do those things to destroy the ego, to shake it up. And and well, that's, that's what many people don't understand, especially when he, you know, suddenly just decides to do something else. And he doesn't do it accidentally, and he doesn't do it unconsciously. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's messing with your mind. Yes, <laughs> no, on the contrary, well, he's another. destroying your mind. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. <laughs> well, there's, actually, that reminds of, of a, another wonderful way he would operate, which was... Uh, Everyone was very embarrassed because, you know, there was this idea of brainwashing. You know, you would go and uh, listen to someone, listen to Osho, and you were in danger of being brainwashed. You know, it was kind of very embarrassing. So, you know, people would ask Osho, brainwashing? No, no, no. That's very primitive. I do the complete dry cleaning. (laughs) (laughs) Good line. (laughs) Well, perhaps the, there's another very famous U-turn, which is really worth mentioning, because you mentioned the, the concept of the master-disciple, which was always really difficult for Westerners to understand, um, was a very famous talk which suddenly appears out of nowhere, where he says, um, I want to tell you a secret I've kept my whole life. So, of course, your ears suddenly treble in size and you kind of go, what is that? And then he describes this interesting situation where uh, Ananda, who was Gautama the Buddha's sort of cousin and caretaker, is saying to Buddha while they're walking in the forest, have you told us everything you really have to tell us? And Buddha apparently bends down and picks up some leaves from the ground and throws them in the air and says, this is what I've spoken on. And all the trees, all the leaves and all the trees in this forest is what I haven't spoken on. And then Osho says, with me, it's a little different. I've spoken on just about everything except one leaf. You know, your ears now get (laughs) another three times larger. Uh And then he says, I never wanted to be a master to anyone, just that people wanted to be disciples, so I played the game. Now you've listened to me long enough, you can understand that actually I am your friend. And then goes on to describe how Buddha had said he would return in 25 centuries as the friend, Maitreya. And then Osho says, of course, people like Buddha never come back. He doesn't mean that at all. But what he means is that this process will be reflected by someone who is your friend. And then right at the end, he says, and 25 centuries have passed. Don't Mm -hmm. let me down. Mm -hmm. Pretty powerful, huh? Mm -hmm. Amazing. No doubt. That that's exactly uh, that's uh, you know that's exactly why we call him the Buddha. It's almost like uh, difficult to describe because only only people who are really sincerely seeking and searching to find that truth within themselves can can understand and appreciate somebody like Osho. And they're very few and rare, but. Fortunately, I think there's more and more people, especially young people, 
that are so ready and the consciousness is so ready and I think we see that from you know 18 million people watching Osho on YouTube and millions of books being sold and it just indicates that when when the truth is spoken nobody can really destroy it it's eternal it's going to be there for generations I think the uh, yeah there's always a hunger when the, the the truth is spoken isn't it that's so true well we're all here in the same boat so to speak and we're, we're all everybody's searching for that same thing that same place where we we realize that i am not this body i'm not my mind i'm not my emotions and that knowingness of everything is just one same creation it's the same emptiness that we're all part of and i think science is coming so much closer to recognizing that and basically which makes religion then obsolete in a way or science and religion meet in a place where hopefully we're going to have that new man that osho has been talking about that is going to be the um will inherit this earth mm. so we the, we the novo uh, omo yeah, and um, let's, uh, uh, I think we're coming up to a, another break, Mata. So let's just say that we are in conversation with Osho's personal physician, Amrito, who's sharing with us some really, really fun inside. I guess this would be inside information. I don't know if you've written it in your book, Amrito, but this is kind of new to me. And I'm because I know a little bit about Osho and, and Mata's relationship with Osho, it's so nice to have this kind of a perspective where we actually you know, get to speak to somebody who is up there up close and personal, so to speak. And we have more thoughts and stories to tell when we continue with Healing Into Consciousness Radio with Albert and Mata coming up next. Been traveling a day, been traveling a year, been traveling a lifetime to find my way home. Been traveling a day, been traveling a year, been traveling a lifetime to find my way home. conversation with uh, Osho's personal physician here on Healing into Consciousness Radio with Albert and Mata. And Amrito, I was going to ask you how your consciousness of self changed or how did your career as a doctor of medicine change as a result of being with Osho? And here we are some 30, 40 years later. How have things changed? Well, the first thing was realizing that actually with Osho it was particularly uh, 
unusual because really I was the patient and he was the doctor. So that really was rather different from the <laughs> usual process. And you're with someone there who absolutely knows their body. So you're really there to listen, not to prescribe. And you're there to hear what might be happening or whatever you can understand might be happening and then research what options there are in terms of treatments that might help or maybe better to do nothing or whatever the outcome is. So it was a really totally different process from the normal game where the doctor is uh, brought in and then has to quote give an opinion and then prescribe some treatment and the huge difference in not practicing like that is that when you think about it what's happening is the patient comes to the doctor and says oh this hurts can you fix that and instead of the doctor then being kind of just saying well it might be this, it might be that, and the options are this and that, so that the responsibility for healing is then placed firmly on the patient. The doctor happily steps into the middle with a big smile on his face and says, in my opinion, it's X, Y, Z, and in my opinion, you should take the blue tablets and come back in a week and see if, how you are. And of course, now he's stuck himself on on his own ego really and when they're worse in a week's time he feels bad and they feel bad and I've got this terrible doctor and when they feel better in a week's time he feels great so actually who wants to live on the end of it, that kind of process so it was a real revelation to me that you didn't have to live like that I didn't invent penicillin I didn't make the tablets I didn't write the textbooks Someone else actually did all that. All I'm doing in the middle is saying, hey, it looks like this and the blue stuff might help. Mm -hmm. um, that seemed to me as, as useful as I could be um, without having to try and get in the middle of that process and be a healer, which was something I really wasn't sure I wanted to be and I didn't know what it meant exactly and if it was going to happen, perhaps it could happen differently from me being, quote, persuasive in some way, which felt a little uneasy and intrusive, frankly. So then your paradigm of, of uh, doctoring that way changed because Osho knew his body so well. Yeah, totally. It was about listening and responding, not about doing and treating and intervening and that kind of rather male aggressive, uh, you know, sick and ill, take a pill, got to fix it kind of energy. That's right. And and by, by nature, Amrita, you're you're already very gentle. And uh, you know, for for someone who's known you, I've I've uh, obviously been in India and uh, seen you, and you're extremely gentle, and you you're very um, unpretentious and. And humble in a way, you 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 know, which shows also in the interview that we're doing here. And yet, at the same time, I've seen you take charge of so many things, and I've seen you do so much without really 
taking any credit for what you're doing and you've been just doing everything out of love and out of appreciation and out of just enjoying enjoying just as you call the game so in a way i think what it seems to me that the transformation that was happening for you internally was just happening from those small moments of just being and and not really doing with your mind but just just sort of flowing with the wisdom that you know osho's wisdom and that whole energy field that that he created so from your perspective and you're still actually very devoted in in continuing that work that vision so if you can say a couple of words about that so osho's left his body but obviously somewhere you are still there and you're still continuing the work that he started yes i think is that humanity is clearly time of crisis intentionally and that it is definitely possible more of us will be prepared to look at in new directions when things are really looking very very shaky in the direction we're already going mm -hmm. and that he has in fact created exactly the doorway that humanity requires and in particular with the active meditations he's given people modern people exactly what has always been missing uh, from meditation techniques that were created hundreds and hundreds of years ago for people who don't exist anymore totally inappropriate for the modern 500 channeled mind creature we are today as a long jump into something let's just call it meditation whatever that means and in particular what is really fascinating is that if you take something like vipassana brilliant idea to use your breath as a way of knowing whether you're present or not which raises the whole question being present oh what a strange idea you mean i it would be a good idea if i turned up for my own life wow you mean I've been told all my life to turn up for school and turn up for university and turn up for this and turn up for that and nobody ever mentioned it would be a good idea if you turned up for your own life? Wow, that seems intelligent. What does that mean? You mean, oh, you mean be present. Aha, uh -huh. you mean that's what meditation means? Wow, now that begins to make some sense to me, not some strange esoteric complicated concept but that I could actually be present and if we had I don't know what proportion of seven billion of us actually being present then it's pretty obvious that whatever's happening is likely to happen a little more intelligently than having seven billion people who are not present because mm -hmm. no matter what you're doing whether you're driving a car you're at work you're going for a walk with your lover in a park, you kind of need to be there for the whole thing to really uh, shape up as, as it can. So that seems so obvious. And then instead of using a physical, because the body is present, 
So uh, the body is here. Who knows where I am? I could be on the other side of the moon, but at least my body is here. Then instead of using the breath, which uh, Buddha suggested, Osho takes a 21st century look at this and says, let's use sound. Because it happens every time your uh, eardrums move, there's a little noise inside your head called a sound. So if you notice the sound, you're probably here. And if you miss the sound, it means you're probably somewhere else. And if you want to learn how to be here, see if you can notice the sound. So his speaking really is using words as a kind of decoration, a, a container for what is really an incredibly revolutionary possibility that we could all learn to be present by learning how to just notice the sounds. The only thing that is real is silence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everything else is just a story that comes and goes. This was the second show in our eight-week series on Osho, the most rebellious and controversial mystic of all times. And thank you, Amrito, for being such a wonderful guest. Thank you for listening to Healing Into Consciousness Radio. For Mata, this is Albert. Just